0: And then I get on the plane, I start reading this book. And I mean, 10 pages in, I was like, oh my God, I need to quit my job. I go to law school. I work harder than I ever have in my life. Take out six figures of loans and like not six figures starting with a one. Like I was close to $300,000 in debt by the time I graduated because of interest and everything. Why, like why, why, why? And so I just was like, okay, if I could do anything and it was guaranteed to be successful, What would it be?
1: And the one thing that kept coming up was I'd sell jewelry. Hi there, it's Sewa and welcome to episode 51 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Diana Bando right as she's put in her notice at Goldman Sachs and is diving headfirst into running her eponymous jewelry company. After a life-changing trip to Bali, she fell in love with their pearls and saw a way to make her dream of designing and selling jewelry a reality. Before we hear the rest of Diana's story, I would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Diana's can continue to inspire women to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script with Diana Bando, founder of Diana Bando Jewelry. Diana Bando, welcome to She's Off Script. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Sewa? I'm doing well. I love when fellow Africans come on the show because they come correct with my name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, my
0: little sister's name is Emma Sewa. So I know. you know, every single time at Goldman when people are
1: like Sewa, I'm like, that's not her name. That's not how you say it, but that's okay. That's okay. So full disclosure, Diana and I used to work at Goldman Sachs together. So it's going to be great to reminisce a little bit about old times, but for (laughs) those of our listeners that didn't work with you and haven't heard of your new jewelry company, could you share who you are and what you do?
0: Sure. I'd love to. So my name is Diana Bando and I'm the creative mind um, and designer and curator behind Diana Bando Jewelry. And it was a passion project turned second career. I'm actually leaving my full-time day job at the end of this month. And so starting October 1st, I'll be a full-time jewelry designer and um, business owner and entrepreneur. And I'm really excited about that. My parents are from Africa. My dad's from Ghana. And my mom is from Nigeria, they came to America for college and always prioritized education. So I went to college, I went to law school. I knew in law school that I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I felt like it was too late because the train was already Oof. on the track.
1: That is a story I hear oh so often. So one of your parents attended Harvard, is that right? They both did. They, they both them. did. So they come to this country to go to Harvard. Was the expectation that you would go to Harvard as well? I did. I just smoked too much hot in high school. So I was she came not- She out right with it.
0: I, just- I, did. <laughs> I was like, you know, my parents got divorced when I was in high school and I was just like, oh my God, I'm over it. Which is, I mean, now I, I don't smoke anymore, which is it's like I did back then. Now all my friends do and I don't, but um, I was- not super focused on getting into Harvard in high school. And, you know, the schools that I went to in the East coast were really good. So there were lots of kids who went to Harvard and, you know, being in Texas, it's like, people aren't really sure what it takes to get into an Ivy League school. Whereas there people know kind of exactly what you need to do. It's not so opaque. And so I was like, oh, that's just a lot of work. Like, if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, like you'll get in for sure. Cause everyone who does it does. But I was like, oh, I'm not interested. That's
1: too much. And you were just chill on the, on the weed vibes. You just weren't yes. going to do that.
0: <laughs> well, and I also, I did ballet pretty seriously until, um, really until my early twenties. And so I had wanted to be a professional ballerina. And then when my parents got divorced, they couldn't afford the training and you really if you want to go pro you really need to be ready by the time you're 16 mm. um but you know i mean late teens is probably fine but really if you're super serious 16 16 to 19 in that window is when you start dancing professionally
1: and so you dance ballet for 18 years or so and mm-hmm. were good enough to go pro
0: i didn't go pro in ballet, I joined a contemporary dance company, Mm -hmm. um, in my early twenties and danced with them for a couple of years. And, but I wanted to be professional, couldn't afford the training once my parents Mm -hmm. got divorced. Um, and so also had like this little, like, I'm not going to Harvard. I'm not going to be a ballerina. Who am I? What's happening with my Mm -hmm.
1: life? Early midlife crisis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At 16, I took a five-year break between high school and college. So in that five-year break, one of the things I did was sell clothes and jewelry at you know, different like White House Black Market and places like that. And then I also was dancing with the Contemporary Dance Company. And then I realized, oh, I'm going to be poor if I pursue this career as a dancer. And I knew that I was smart and I knew that I was willing to work hard. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to just go to college and figure out a next step. And Mm -hmm. so I went to college, was a political science major, didn't have a plan. And then, um, you know, as graduation started approaching, I asked my friends, you know, what are you guys doing after you graduate? And everybody was going to law school. And I just was like, well, you know, I know that I have better grades than a lot of these people because, you know, I had semesters where I was on the dean's list. I knew who else was on the dean's list. And I was like, okay, well, I know that I've been on the dean's list a bunch and you haven't been on there. And if you're going to law school, then I can go to law school. So I, just, I applied and I got into SMU.
1: A lot of people from African backgrounds I speak to choose their career path because of the pressure they were under from their parents. But in your case, it was different. It was a little bit more peer pressure. Yeah. And And perhaps maybe the lack of your parents' input. Did you feel like there was this absence because they were divorced?
0: They, yeah, they put a lot of pressure on me before they got divorced. And then afterwards it was like, you know, can you please give us something to brag about? Like, please, like all your cousins are like getting married and doing all these things. Like We need something to say. There was a little bit of that, but also just you know wanting to be successful and wanting to make my way in the world. And and then I get to law school, and I'm not the smartest, and I'm not the hardest working. I'm just a girl, Mm. (laughs) And so that was another existential crisis. While I was there, I made friends with people, and they'd say things like, "I knew when I was four years old I wanted to be a lawyer," or you know, I and I was like, "Oh no, I another wrong turn." Like I, I don't. I did not fantasize about being a lawyer the whole time. I just wanted something to do after college and didn't really feel like applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, which is a horrible reason to apply to law school, but I think it's a lot of why people do it. It's like, oh, I need to, I'm not ready to face the real world. Like more school. Let me
1: go to school, right.
0: And then my last year of law school, I took a class at the business school because you could take up to six credit hours And apply it towards your law degree. And so I took an entrepreneurship class at the business school. And I mean, probably by the second or third lecture, I was like, oh, this is where I should have been the whole time. Like, I'm a business person, not a lawyer. Which, you know, now it's like, well, if being a business person was kind of inevitable, then going to law school is probably the better choice because I could at least have the background, um, you know, because the business training, you can. Learn it as you go. Mm -hmm. Even with that, I was like, okay, it's my last year of law school and the bar is coming up. And I think I just need to save a course, graduate, pass the bar, get a job Mm -hmm. as a lawyer, make some money, and then try and come up with a next step, but not totally derail right now. Like, do things sequentially.
1: It's a big investment. It's a big investment to just walk away from time-wise, mm-hmm. financially, mm-hmm. Um, and even ego-wise mm-hmm. to admit yeah. that I, I was probably wrong in taking this path. But I believe everything happens for a reason because now fast forward, you have so many experiences that I'm sure are going to roll into your business. Yeah, but-
2: connections,
0: everything. Um, and, and even being at Goldman and just having the exposure to the size of the transactions and the revenue numbers of the clients. You know, if I started the jewelry line in my early twenties, I would have been like, okay, if I can just make, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month, that's great. Whereas now it's like, okay, how do I get to seven figures in the next three years?
1: Mm -hmm. You've seen the other side and you can't settle.
0: Yeah, right. It's like, oh, like no, let's really do this. Like, mm-hmm. let's have a multi-million dollar company and then scale it to a multi-billion dollar lifestyle brand, which is okay. like the end goal. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so there's not like a. I'm not even saying I'm going to do it in a certain time period, but in the short term, it's like okay, like, and that's also part of leaving. It's like, uh, no, let's really lock in and focus and get this to.
1: A seven figure, you know, woman owned brand. And like, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. But take us back a little bit to last year where you went on that life changing trip to Bali that sparked you to actually say, I'm going to launch this. It sounds so eat, pray, love. Tell us about that. It was very, two steps before that. I graduate from
0: law school, take the bar exam, and it's really kind of anticlimactic because. You study for 10 weeks for the bar, and then it's a three-day exam, 15 hours total of testing. And then you have to wait for four months for mm-hmm. the results. And so it's like all this buildup. And then, and then it's like, okay, and now we wait. And I didn't have a job when I graduated. About half my class didn't have a job. So I'm applying for jobs and not hearing back and getting really depressed. I go to law school. I work harder than I ever have in my life. Take out six figures of loans and like not six figures starting with a one like i was close to $300,000 in debt Oof. by the time i graduated because of interest and everything mm-hmm. why like why, why why and so i just was like okay if i could do anything and it was guaranteed to be successful what would it be and the one thing that kept coming up was i'd sell jewelry and then fast forward to december of 2017, I was in New York visiting the office, having a catch up with one of the MDs in legal, and I just was letting him have it, and I just was going off about how unhappy I was with my life and how I felt like I wasn't doing anything that really mattered, and I just worked all the time, and I I felt like I was just you know making rich people richer, but wasn't doing anything that. Mattered to me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, I don't even know why I was like telling this man all my whole, but he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you something. And so, like, the next day or the day after that, he called me in his office, gave me a book called Designing Your Life that I started reading as I was flying back to Dallas. And then I get on the plane, I start reading this book. And I mean, 10 pages in, I was like, oh my God, I need to quit my job. And then, because it's all about, like living a life that's organized around your strengths and Mm -hmm. your passions and making the most of that. And the advice is really practical. Like it's like, you can live, you know, your best life without leaving your marriage, without Mm -hmm. quitting your job. It's like, you know, are there job tests that you can delegate so you can focus more on the things that where you're in flow? Mm -hmm. And so it's super practical, but there were enough things in there that made me like, I have to quit my job. And then I'd get to another page where it was about like making your life as it is work. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can make it work. Wow. And then I'd read what, what else. Like, called again? Wow. Designing
1: Your Life. It's a New York Times bestseller. It sounds um, very practical, but needed by a lot of people. Um, yes. I think, I think last it should be required ep- reading for all
0: high school seniors. I really do. Anyway, so I start reading Designing Your Life. And then I go to Bali um, four months later, but all these like, Kind of the wheels were turning in my head. And while I'm there, I just fell in love with the Indonesian pearl jewelry. And I just loved them as if they're not perfectly round, but they're beautiful. And so I bought a couple of things for myself and then felt like I was being, you know, greedy because Mother's Day was coming. And so I texted my brother and sister and said, hey, do you want to, you know, go in on something for mom for Mother's Day? And they were like, yes, pearls from Bali from Mother's Day. That seems like a no brainer. Like, yeah, I definitely want that. And so then I texted some of my girlfriends and I was like, hey, do you want Indonesian pearl jewelry? And everyone's like, yes, I want pearls from Indonesia. Why not? Like, that sounds great. <laughs> and so next thing I knew, I had about $4,000 in Venmos from friends, I mean, in under a week. And And then it hit me one morning, like in bed, I was like, okay, you have been for the last four years, every single time you have a little too much wine, you'll start getting emotional and say, all you want to do is sell jewelry. And it just seemed like a silly thing that you kept saying, but now you're here and you know, you're selling jewelry and it's not that hard. What if you actually went for it? Mm. And then simultaneously it's like, oh my gosh. And then like what if I also like created like a platform using the Pearl as a metaphor and made it like an inspirational platform and you know, something that like helped people like that 2017 version of myself who was like, I hate everything, what am I doing with my life? You know, to feel a little bit more braver and willing mm-hmm. to just do the thing, whatever it is, not necessarily leave your job, but just live in a way that's more intentional and on and, you know,
1: going after what you, you know, were meant to do. And, you know, so, so yeah. You know, I am curious. I got to ask, mm-hmm. were you making a little margin on top of the cost of the jewelry? that? much. I mean,
0: I was like, oh, like what I was thinking at the time was, oh, I should just, um, get enough money so that if the weight, because pearls, if you buy enough of them are kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking it's going to be over the weight limit. So I was like, oh, I'll just throw in like an extra like 20 bucks. Like, so it wasn't, I was selling it basically at cost.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it was just the volume because people would be like, oh, and like get something for my aunt and get something for my mom. And, did I, and also I want this oh, maybe something for my daughter.
1: I think I read that when you got back from the trip, so you Mm -hmm. sold some things, but then you also decided to take apart the jewelry so you could design your own custom pieces. So how did you even know that you would be able to put the jewelry back together so it looked like a quality piece? Um, The
0: craftsmanship was pretty low quality. Like within a month, like sometimes some of the clasps would break or, Mm -hmm. you know, things would fall off. And so I was like, you know what? The pearls themselves are beautiful. The hardware and the things that they're using are just okay. And I'm using my name on this. And the only thing that's really quote unquote me is the fact that I went to Indonesia. So I should just break everything apart and use upgraded components, like Mm -hmm. the ear piece and the chains and, and really make it beautiful.
1: Where did you get that? Where did you get the updated hardware?
0: So the, I started with, there was a local jewelry making shop called Beating Dreams.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I started kind of everything there for the first few months. And then after a while, one of my friends was like, okay, if you're going to do this, you need to start buying wholesale so that you can lower your cost mm-hmm. and actually you know, have a margin so that you're not losing money. Right, And so- um, in like August, I started going to like the wholesale jewelry markets that aren't open to
1: the public. Um, okay. So how did you get access if they weren't open to the public? Fortunately, I had a friend who has access. You have a lot of friends, Diana. I do. <laughs> I do. I have a lot of friends. But yeah, I mean, if you
0: are somebody who's interested in shopping at the wholesale jewelry markets, I mean obviously people can contact me and I can get you a guest pass. Um, Just message me on Instagram and I can get you one. But usually there's vendors in there. And if you call them, they'll get you a guest pass to go visit their showroom. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
0: once you have a guest pass, you can kind of walk around. Um, But I mean, it was like a whole new world. And obviously if you ever want to go, we can go
1: Yes. Now I'm very curious about this whole new world. (laughs) I'm a jewelry lover too. And because when you talk about going to Bali, I can relate to that because I took a trip to Phuket, Thailand. Oh, Thailand. So beautiful. And on the beach, I didn't get any jade because the jade, they actually Price high, but the pearls were beautiful, and I know what you mean about the craftsmanship. Um, mm-hmm. But the pearl—I got this like four-strand pearl necklace for almost nothing, and they were making it right there by the ocean. So mm-hmm. I really get that. I'm, I'm a big jewelry lover. So you were able to get into the wholesale market, and yeah. from there, how were you able to then understand how to trade with them and navigate that space?
0: I mean, there's price tags on everything, but everything's negotiable, Mm -hmm. but they're really not going to negotiate with you unless they know that you're going to come back and spend money. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the first couple of months I just paid what I paid. And then after a little while, it's like, oh, she keeps coming back. And so there's places that, you know, off the top will knock off 15% or, you know, I'll just say like, what's my price?
1: Once the pearls from Bali ran out, or do you still have more? I still have a very limited number. Yeah. So where do you plan on getting more? Are you going to be going to this market or are you going back to Bali for them?
0: Yeah. So I buy my pearls from the wholesale market now. Okay. I am planning on going back to Indonesia. It's just a question of when. Right now it looks like July is when it'll happen, but it's still, it just depends on business. Like I really wanted to go back in October, but it, probably should have left Goldman sooner if I was going to do October, because I really need to be focused on getting ready for Christmas and doing photo shoots and getting marketing, you know, ad campaigns Mm -hmm. together. And, Mm -hmm. and so there's just a lot of things that need to happen between now and December 25th that require me to be here. But, you know, in January when things are slower, I'd love to go then and then have some really cool things for Spring break and summer using Indonesian pearls.
1: Talking about Goldman, then mm. you were working full time at a demanding job. Super. I know I was there. Yes. Um, and then trying to launch this full blown business. How did you balance it? Could you walk us through what a day in the life looked like for you?
0: It was very imbalanced. So, you know, get up in the morning, go to work, come home, and you know, whereas before it was like, okay, like I'll just work until whenever. I'd really try and be done by seven at the latest, Mm -hmm. earlier if I could, and then come home, eat something. And then I'd just work until (laughs) 3am. Like, you know, like it, it, and then get up around Seven, eight, mm-hmm. and maybe go to the gym, or maybe go for like a little walk, and then get to the office. I mean, I started getting to the office later. I started coming in like nine thirty, and then ten, and then ten thirty.
1: Ooh, you start but, getting those looks. Like,
2: look like at yeah, her strolling like, oh, in at ten thirty. Oh,
0: <laughs> thank you. Well, and people would like make like snippy comments, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, like, glad you could make it today." But I was like, you know, I work till three in the morning, like. <laughs> This is me on five hours of sleep. Um, what were you I, doing? I didn't. I didn't want to advertise what I was doing. Um, probably for the first six eight months, mm-hmm. so people just knew that I was kind of showing up later. But unless you were really close to me, you didn't know that I had a jewelry line.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: then people would say things like. I started following you on social media and I had no idea you have this whole other life. And I'm like, yeah, I just wanted to keep church and state kind of separate. And mm-hmm. I I knew from the beginning that the jewelry line would be successful, but I also wasn't sure if, you know, I think initially I thought I'd probably work at Goldman another three, four years before leaving.
2: Mm. Because
0: I knew that it generally takes a business five years to be profitable. And so I said, well, if it takes a business five years to be profitable, then I, I don't think I'm going to want to get another job. Like I'm just mm-hmm. going to want to work this one as long as I can.
1: Right. Stay somewhere so, where you have equity and can stolen at 1030. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: As it cause if I get a new job, I got to be there at eight or mm-hmm. 745 or whatever time people show up. People say like, you know, you work your nine to five. And then you work your job from you know five to nine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just being an entrepreneur and having a day job, it is much more doable if you have like a forty hour a week job mm-hmm. where it really is nine to five. And that's not what I had. And so at the beginning I just burned the camel up both ends big time. And then you know, got to the point where it's like, okay, some weeks I'm just not going to do very much with my business so I can get more sleep. Some days, some weeks I'm going to do a lot more with the business. And I just know like I'll try and catch up on the weekends. It's not ideal, but the alternative is to just not do it at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and so, you know, just kind of taking like a, this two shall pass mentality. So the founder of Stella and Dot, and I was listening to one of her interviews. And she says, you know, we, we all talk about juggling balls and it's up to you to know which balls are rubber balls that you can drop and which balls are glass balls that you just have to keep in the air. Mm -hmm. And so just a lot of that, like, and, and the answer changes from week to week, but, um, just being really intentional about like, okay, this week, these are the rubber balls. I'm going to let them drop. Mm -hmm. Um, this week, these are the glass balls. And no matter what happens, like they have to stay in the air.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, you know, it, it doesn't look perfect. People would say to me like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, you just like, can't try to do anything too well. And you get a lot more done. So-
1: <laughs> <laughs> that perfection bug. You just have to make sure that you're not trying to be perfect at everything. Otherwise you yeah. will never get anything done. Dana, I feel like we rarely get a glimpse into the mind of an entrepreneur right as they're at that crossroads where mm-hmm. you know they either have to leap right. into entrepreneurship. Exactly, that's where you are yeah. right now. Either yeah. leap full time or just keep this a small little side hustle. So what boxes did you have to check off for yourself? You know, health insurance is a concern. Your multi six figure law school loans are a concern, you know, having a consistent income. So, what boxes did you have to check off for yourself before you felt like I am comfortable making this leap?
0: In a perfect world, what I would have done is gotten the business to a point where my profit was exceeding my salary, mm-hmm. um, which is not where I am right now. Um, but there have been enough months where my sales were more than my salary. Like literally my third month in business, my sales were more than my take home pay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've just seen that it's a function of the more time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears I put into this, the more money I make and the less I put into it, the less I make, Mm
2: -hmm. which
0: with my current job, it's like, oh, like, it doesn't matter how much I work or don't work. I make the same amount of money. And I think it's when you have a situation where you make the same, regardless of what you do, your incentive is to do as little as possible. Whereas when you have a situation where you make more, the more you do, you obviously want to put more into that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not that everything is there, but I just looked at how much I had saved and was like, okay, how much can I live off of this? I have an investor lined up. And so one of the things that for me is important is just I want to grow the business and get it to, um, a place that I think is really representative of what the potential investment opportunity is. Um, and I was like, you know what, if I, if I delay the investment discussions and really am focused through Christmas and can show like, this is what year one looked like, this is what year two look like this is what the last four months of the year look like with me doing this full time, mm-hmm. then um, I think those discussions will be better. So, yeah, you know, for me, it was just, uh, how long am I willing to continue burning the candle at both ends? Has there been enough proof of concept for me to think it makes sense? For, and then three, like, do I really believe I can do this? Mm-hmm. So it's not even like all, all the... Boxes were lined up, and it's you know no, it's still a leap of faith, and I think it's called a leap, and not like a you know logical progression down a flight of stairs because there's still there's an element of failure or um, mm-hmm. of risk.
1: Okay, there's so many jewelry lines out there. Yeah, what do you think is unique about your brand enough for it to stand out in a crowd?
0: No matter how many. Brands are out there, like no one's ever gonna just only wear one brand. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that there is Chanel and Louis Vuitton and Dior, like people still love all the luxury brands. No one's ever gonna be like, well, I can't wear Ferragamo because Chanel exists. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think of competition as, oh, because there are other people doing it, I can't. It's like, no, I think there's enough customers for everyone. People like options. People like, and different things mean different, you know, things to different people. So um, I think what people like about my jewelry line is that the aesthetic is versatile and clean and simple. So before starting my own line, I love statement jewelry and I have statement pieces right now. I don't have any statement pieces in my line. They're all things that you can really wear almost anywhere. Like they will look just as good at brunch as they Mm -hmm. will with an evening gown. And the first really like top selling piece was something I designed kind of with my life stage in mind. Like I wanted something that I could wear to work or on a date or to brunch or to church Or, you know, like one piece that would like work in like literally every situation in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that is the Medica necklace and you can wear it four different ways. So like you can wear it as like a Lariat, which makes it more sexy. You can make it look like just a regular strand of pearls. You can make it a choker and have a strand of pearls going down your back. Um, And, and so that's, that's my thing. It's like, it's not just, okay, you can wear this with one look. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can style this with lots of different looks. So even though you're buying one piece, it's something that really will go from day to night and back flawlessly, or, or even like, you know, things that will look, you can wear on your wedding day, but you
1: can wear it to brunch. Oh, that's extremely versatile. You've done a lot in the year Bus that you 've been open what's the biggest mistake you've made so far and how did you recover?
0: So there are so many mistakes that it's hard for me to pick a biggest one and it's hard because like when you're starting off as an entrepreneur you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. but there's kind of classic advice that everyone says like right off the bat you need a good lawyer and a good accountant, and I really wish I got a good accountant from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I have tax people who I've used for about a decade. Um, but in December when it was time to start preparing taxes, they sent me a spreadsheet and they said, "Okay, just, you know, fill this out and we'll figure out your business taxes." Mm-hmm. And so then I had to like go through bank statements and receipt. cuz I didn't know like I got to keep, keep it yeah. separate. Got to keep it separate. Yeah, so but I'm like what did I, but I mean, in Bali, it started as a vacation. So I was just like, okay. And then I came back and I didn't have a, a business checking I actually didn't open a business bank account until this year. Um, because you know, it was like, I didn't know what I was going to sell tomorrow. And sometimes there are weeks where I didn't sell anything. And mm-hmm. so just the financials, I'm not a num- I'm a pretty colors person. I'm not a numbers person. So I wish I got help with that early on. But then even things like Instagram, like, m- like I'm just now getting to a point where most of my content is displayed, but for a while, the majority of my Instagram content was archived because I was doing it myself and it was just kind of crazy. And then at the beginning of this year, I hired a PR firm and they were like, okay, we're going to redo the aesthetic and make it super clean. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? But- it's a game changer because it makes you look more legit.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you know, I had sold retail, but I never started a brand before. Of course. And I didn't appreciate how much thought needs to go into like who is your customer? What do you want the look and feel to be? What do you want people to say after they interact with you? Like and to really be intentional and granular and mm-hmm. think everything from color schemes to, you know, price points to like, initially my price point was just like, okay, it cost me this much. So I will just double that. And then I'm not losing any money, but really, you know, now I know, okay, if I want to have things professionally photographed, the professional photographer charges a thousand dollars a day. If I want to have things on models. Okay. Well, Oh, that needs to be paid for too, and mm-hmm. so there's influencer all these campaigns, expenses.
1: right? There's so many more inputs that you have to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then to go back and figure out pricing,
0: which frankly is why a lot of things are made in China because your cost is low, so you can still cover your other expenses, your marketing, branding, whatever, and um, and still sell something at a low price and make a profit. Mm-hmm. And right now. I have a few things that are done overseas um, with some of the other designers I've started working with, but the vast majority of the labor is done in Dallas, Texas. So it just means the price point is higher mm-hmm. because, you know, I, labor is more expensive
1: here. Right. <laughs> so, wow, that's such a good advice, a good insight to share with people about just being mindful about all of the things that you need to take care of upfront to set a solid foundation for your business. Um, yeah. So (laughs) I know when we listen to stories, like I know Kendra Scott is a big Texas designer that everyone seems to know. I love the story. Right. So she started having pieces in showrooms and then went retail. What plans do you have for growing Diana Bando Jewelry?
0: You know, I said right away, I want to be the most loved brand in Dallas, Texas. And, and so, right now, the focus is on that. So, there are a couple stores in Dallas that I do want to be in. And maybe I could have tried harder to be in them before I left Goldman. But I just knew okay, getting to stores to me means you're physically there, you're from parties during the day, you're training the salespeople you're, because getting into the store is one thing, staying in the store is another. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, so there are stores that I'm in conversations with. And so hopefully soon I, there will be like on my website, a section of saying, you know, here's where you can shop. Um, but I, I also know that I have a lot of traffic to my website. And so there's things about like converting you know, more of the traffic that you get into sales, that I know I could be doing, but I don't even know the, like how to figure out how to get. So like when I'm doing this full time, focusing on growing the online business. And then one thing that I, because I hadn't been a big social media consumer prior to starting the jewelry line is just doing online parties and styling sessions. Because one thing people will see a piece And I will know that you can wear it six different ways, Mm -hmm. but, you know, because I only have limited time with the models and the photographers, maybe I can only get a photograph of it worn two different ways before Mm -hmm. we have to move on to another piece. So I can get everything shot in the time that we have on set. Right. Um, And so, you know, I'll start doing more styling videos so that, and I, I think, you know, that makes a difference when people can actually see you.
1: And actually you had done something about this, about like showing your face on your brand. Yes, absolutely. Where people start to see a persona that they can relate to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
0: I totally was like, oh no, I want to have pretty things and have it all be just like models that are 10 to 15 years younger than me and super cute. And that's it. And the PR firm pretty quickly was like, you know your social media content performs better when you're in it, mm-hmm. and I was
1: like, but I don't want to be in it. Like I want the, but the line like, carries your name. You yeah. kind of have to be in it,
2: <laughs>
0: right? Right. Well, and even there's there's a marketing company. Um, so again, with all the friends, I used to babysit for the immediate past SVP of e-commerce for Hellsberg Diamonds, mm. and and she has been a huge help. But she introduced me to some of the marketing people that Hellsberg used. And I mean, they have been great and super helpful and like, no, you know, we'll help you as a favor. And so I was having a conversation with the owner Mm -hmm. probably about three weeks ago during my lunch break. And I mean, she was like, I mean, yeah, everything's pretty, but like, where are you? Like, like there's no you in the Mm -hmm. website. It's just the product. And so, but I mean, again, Things I will be more focused on when I'm not averaging four hours a night of sleep and, you know, showing up to the office with chapstick and eyeliner as my makeup. And
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we can't wait because I could just tell that there's so many big things on the horizon for you. But on that note, Diana, it's been so great catching up with you and being able to share your story. So where can our listeners connect with you after the episode airs?
0: Yes, so... A couple of different ways. One, social media. So Instagram and Facebook, it's at Diana Bando. So D-I-A-N-A, B-A-N-D, like band, O-H. And then through the website, dianabando.com. If you sign up for my email list, you'll be the first to know about giveaways, events. Uh, You know, sometimes I will do like, here's a code for a free $25 gift card, like just for my email list you know, so that you can use whenever it doesn't expire. So it definitely is worth enrolling because there's all kinds of perks there, but mm-hmm. you know, the best ways to stay tuned are just follow the Instagram page, um, or the Facebook page. If you don't use Instagram and get on the email list, at dianabando.com.
1: Thank you. It was great chatting. It was great talking with you too. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.